Welcome back to Core Conversations, a CoreLogic podcast. I am your host, May Claire Bolton-Smith, and I'm the Senior Leader of Research and Content Strategy with CoreLogic. In this podcast, we'll have conversations with industry experts about key topics from housing affordability to the impacts of natural disasters on property. Parametric insurance is a non-traditional type of insurance that offers pre-specified payouts based upon a trigger event. So for instance, a policy could state that it pays out $1 million if your site was impacted by a sustained wind speed of 75 miles per hour or higher in a hurricane. Historically, in the natural catastrophe realm, parametric insurance has only been offered for earthquakes and hurricanes. With developments in quality and breadth of data, parametric covers addressing other perils such as hail is becoming increasingly possible. I think we're all familiar with hailstorms when those little or sometimes large pieces of ice fall from the sky and wreak havoc. Hail is the most frequent of all natural hazards. Every year, hundreds of storms occur and insured losses typically exceed billions of dollars. Swiss Re is the largest reinsurance company in the world, and they've really pushed the industry forward with a new innovative product for parametric hail insurance. And that's what we want to talk about today. So today, I welcome Dr. Megan Lincoln and Cole Mayer from Swiss Re Corporate Solutions to dive into parametric hail insurance. Megan and Cole, thank you for joining me today on Core Conversations. Thank you for having us, May Claire. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, May Claire. We're glad to join you. Awesome. Okay, so to start off with, let's introduce the two of you to our listeners. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your background and your role with Swiss Re, and maybe a little background on Swiss Re as well, too. So, Megan, let's start with you. Sure. So, my name is Megan Lincoln. I have been with Swiss Re for almost 13 years, minus the one year I spent elsewhere. Um, my background my background is science. I'm trained as a meteorologist. And I jo- when I joined Swiss Re in 2008, I started in the catastrophe perils team. So I was doing modeling and risk assessment associated with tropical cyclones, tornadoes, hailstorms, and other sort of weather-related natural disasters. Um, and then in 2012, I moved over to our public sector team, where I started working a lot on these parametric insurance products because our government buyers found them to be quite useful. And then after seven years with that team in 2019, I transitioned into a full underwriting role. So doing everything from uh, parametric product development to parametric product structuring to parametric product underwriting with our corporate solutions business unit. Um, Swiss Re is divided into two business units, our reinsurance business, which is over 150 years old and has is actually notable for the fact that we settled claims on the Titanic back in 1912. Oh, and wow. Then, yeah, yeah. Learned that at our 150th uh, year celebration. Um, and then our corporate solutions business unit, which was launched in 2010, 2011, roughly, and focuses on providing insurance to uh, corporates directly. That is so exciting and so awesome. And, and listeners of our podcast know that I'm a diehard freak of all things natural catastrophe. So love your background and we're going to be best friends. So no pressure, Cole. Um, why don't you uh, introduce yourself now, Cole? Oh, that's quite an act to follow here. Let me see what I can do. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, my name's Cole Merrigan. Thank you for having us. Uh, I work for uh, the Innovative Risk Solutions team um, within the Swiss Re Corporate Solutions business unit that that Megan just sort of outlined. Uh, unfortunately, our, our acronym, particularly this time of year, is IRS. Uh, so don't hold that against us. Uh, we we I make that joke every single time. 
uh, we talk to anybody. <laughs> so uh, particularly this time of year. But uh, I'm, I'm based out in San Francisco in the Bay Area. Uh, another quick plug. So Megan mentioned the Titanic. We also actually paid a significant um, portion of the claims in the 1906 uh, earthquake as well. Swiss Re oh, did uh, out okay. in San Francisco, which was the last big San Francisco earthquake, um, uh, sort of San Francisco based. We had Loma Prieta back mm -hmm. Um, uh, in 1989 as well, but, uh, some, some cool history on Swiss Re there, but, um, on a high level, uh, our team gets involved, uh, when one of our clients has a unique problem that isn't particularly well solved, uh, by our traditional, uh, insurance products. So we try to find ways to help our insurance cover that risk creatively in a way that sort of still fits within Swiss Re's overall risk appetite. So, um, I was a bit on my background. I was born and raised in, in Kansas City. So you'll have to forgive me. I may be uh, a bit on the sad side uh, for those who watched <laughs> the game yesterday. Uh, but but uh, um, I've been with Swiss Re about, uh, similar to Megan, about 13 years in a variety of different roles and locations, uh, but have focused sort of in this innovative risk space for a number of years now. I love it. That's great. And and I love that the two of you have different roles and different backgrounds and Cole's yours is equally as exciting as, as Megan's is too. So um, I think I'm it'll really help it. give Thank us a you. good perspective. <laughs> I think it'll help us give a good perspective on what we want to talk about today. So to start off uh, at the top, I kind of talked a little bit about introducing parametric insurance, but can you dive in and give us some more background on parametric insurance? Sure. Yeah, I can start and, and Megan, feel free to, to jump in as well. So um, parametric insurance really make clear uses um, an event trigger. So that can be um, could be wind speed, could be earthquake shake intensity, could be hail size, right, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, uh, so we're using that event trigger or parameter. So that's where the term parametric comes from, a parameter. Um, to adjust uh, a claim as opposed to sort of the traditional claims adjustment process that we're all kind of used to, right? So loss happens, the claims adjuster comes in and they try to figure out what's broken and, and try to figure out what the loss is. This is very different in that it uses that event trigger to, to, to uh, adjust the payout. Um, uh, so what this allows, uh, ultimately allows us to do uh, is really two things, to pay claims much quicker uh, because we can confirm that event trigger, you know, quite quickly after an event, as opposed to needing to wait for an on-site assessment and all that comes with that. Um, that also allows us to provide much broader coverage for kind of a wider array uh, of losses that our, our insureds might face in a given uh, event. So maybe a little bit of background. Parametric insurance has, has been around, you know, for, for many years now. Uh, Swiss Re has been involved mm -hmm. sort of from the start. Um, but I think we're now seeing this concept sort of come to life and become a bit more mainstream uh, as opposed to just something that sort of sat, sat on this kind of little little slice of, of the insurance world, if you will. Uh, and, and I think that's a result of... Um, you know, certainly in over the last two, three years, going back to 2017, we've seen very active hurricane seasons. So many of our clients have felt very acutely and very recently uh, the, the pain of that. And so that that kind of leads them to look at different avenues or additional avenues to, to figure out how to ensure those kind of, again, wider array of losses. Um, we also have better data and more granular data. Um, to, to ultimately design better parametric cover. So that in turn has caused 
you know, sort of those better, more meaningful covers cause more folks to sort of consider them. Uh, and, and finally, I think we as an industry have gotten better at the education piece, which maybe we can get to in a minute. Uh, and and um, we've also kind of, I think, figured out how to better cater to smaller businesses and public entities um, for whom, you know, these these concepts are, are just as valuable, if not more valuable than for the really, really big folks. Right. Uh, and, and so I think that's broadened the kind of potential universe of, of clients as well. Yeah, I'm glad you just touched on the clients because I want to dive in a little bit to who tends to buy these types of policies and like why would someone want to buy a parametric insurance policy? Sure. So, you know, I, I feel that these really so parametric insurance probably began in earnest in the late 90s. Um, yeah, after Hurricane Andrew and after, after the, it, it kind of originally started almost as like weather risk cover where you could, energy companies could get them to protect against um, weather fluctuations. So fluctuation in temperature, fluctuation in precipitation. And then kind of in the early 2000s, which is actually when Swiss Re got involved into the space, we started seeing these be used to cover natural catastrophes. And okay. buyers of parametric insurance tend to have a couple of things in common. Um, number one, they're vulnerable to a variety of financial disruptions caused by natural disasters. Okay. Number two, they have assets or they have um, something in their supply chain that is difficult to insure or is underinsured. Ah, okay. And the third is, I would say, is that they're looking for a very transparent and easy to settle claims process like Cole touched on. Okay. So I became involved in the space when I joined, when I mostly when I joined our public sector solutions team, because one of the earlier adopters of these sorts of policies were governments. Um, and that's because after a natural disaster, be it a hurricane, be it an earthquake, government is going to be the primary first responder to an event. Yeah. And they're not only going to have to potentially address physical damage to homes and businesses, they're going to have to address immediate repairs to critical infrastructure like roads and bridges. Mm -hmm. uh, they're potentially going to have to address, address salary requirements of having um, emergency service personnel do overtime. Wow. They're going to have to address things like debris clearing and utility repairs. And then they're going to have some potentially longer term impacts from natural disasters. And that can include everything to uh, lost tourism tax revenue if they're in a tourism heavy area. Uh, lost property tax revenue, just if homes and businesses are damaged and people opt to move out of the area. And I, I mean, a great example of that is Hurricane Katrina. Um, mm. A lot of people in the wake of Hurricane Katrina left New Orleans and moved to Houston. And the last time I looked, 15 years after Katrina, almost 16 now, population mm. in New Orleans isn't back to pre-Katrina levels. And if you mm. don't have people there, you're not collecting the tax revenue. So governments were early adopters of these to allow them to get an, an influx of cash quickly after an event so that they could start to address some of these immediate financial pressures that they felt in the wake of a natural disaster. And then what we came to find as, 
as the economy globalized and as there were just interconnected links across, not only across the country, not only across the United States, but across the world, is that these sort of product, products also resonated with corporate buyers, so businesses. An mm -hmm. example would be, you know, let's look at the ports of, of Los Angeles, San Francisco, and San Diego that will import a lot of merchandise or a lot of critical components from Asia. Well, maybe certain companies don't own the warehouses that they import into, they rent the space, but if an earthquake strikes one of those places, they no longer have a, a anywhere to store their goods. So then they can't get them to the next step in the supply chain. So it was the realization that these products could also address those sort of p potential revenue gaps or supply chain interruptions caused by natural disasters at locations that um, corporates don't necessarily own but have a vested financial interest in. So those in general are going to be, that that's who we're going to see purchasing these insurance okay. policies. I would say governments okay. looking for immediate funding post-event and corporates looking to reduce financial volatility due to um, just operational disruptions in their, okay. in their chain of operations. Yeah, if I if I could jump in a little bit, Meg Claire, because this is a this is a super important point, and Megan hit on a lot of really good ones. Um, you know, one of the 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 what's cool about these products is uh, because of the the broad cover that we talked about uh, and the wide array of of potential losses. Really, any financial loss these can cover, and the flexibility of the way that we can design them, we can we can kind of solve almost any problem they have relating to this peril. Right, an insured or, or, or client has, and so what's cool is, you know, Megan and I sitting where we are, we have client conversations all the time, and we're always finding, in fact, new ways that we can use these, right? Um, and and ultimately, this is because, um, you know, traditional insurance. So that that may be a question you ask, right? Like, why can't traditional insurance, the way everybody's always kind of bought it, cover those those exposures, right? And and um, the answer is to, to Megan's point, um, you know, supply chains, et cetera, have, and, and, and business in general has gotten such so so interconnected and so complex um, in a hurry, right? And, and we're using these kind of traditional insurance policies that have been around uh, for many, many decades, hundreds of years sometimes, mm -hmm. and and so they just can't really respond to any and everything, uh, particularly as the the kind of risk universe expands considerably. Uh, and, and so these these kind of parametric covers, given um, their, their broad nature of the coverage, can kind of help plug in to supplement and solve some of those problems that traditional insurance uh, just can't really solve. Wow. And one of one of our colleagues kind of jokes that um, an insurance, a traditional insurance policy is from the 80s. And he doesn't mean the 1980s. He means the 1880s. <laughs> It is. And they wow. do a great job for, for what they're meant to do. Right. It, it, it's actually kind of amazing that, you know, the, the, the core concepts, you know, make a lot of sense and they do a pretty good job for what they're meant to do, which is kind of respond to for in a property policy, for example, respond to physical damage at the site and then maybe some revenue loss associated with the site. But then when you expand that universe out and you think about, you know, I'm getting supplies from here and I'm getting this part from here. The, the, the supply chains have gotten so complex and business in general has gotten so complex that to expect those 1880s policies to 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 respond to those 
probably too much to ask for, right? So we needed different yeah. solutions. Right. And I mean, by way of example, just to give it, so we've heard feedback from clients on how they intend to use the funds if they get a payout. And then we've actually seen real live use of these funds and actions. Um, the CRIF, which is formerly the Caribbean Catastrophe Risk and Insurance Facility, is one of the older parametric insurance facilities that's in place. Um, it was first put into effect in 2007 after the 2004 and 5 hurricane seasons, which ravaged the Caribbean. Hurricane Ivan did quite the number on Grenada and Jamaica. Mm -hmm. Uh, as an example. So the CRIF was incepted in 2007. It covers, um, I haven't worked on the CRIF in a couple years because I switched roles, but last I checked, somewhere in the range of 16 to 20 Caribbean island nations. Um, wow. And Haiti was our participating, is a participating member, again, the last time I checked. And they received a payout after the 2010 earthquake that hit Port-au-Prince. And mm -hmm. the money that they received from the CRIF allowed them to continue to fund their police force and the oh, operations wow. of their emergency services. Uh, and then in 2017, Antigua and Barbuda was struck by, I believe it was Irma. I can never remember which island was struck by Irma and which was struck by Maria. But regardless, um, whichever hurricane hit them did produce a payout for them. And my understanding is, is that they, uh, the funds from the CRIF were at least partially used to help evacuate people from Barbuda, which was the oh, worst wow. affected of the two islands. So, okay. I mean, these, and then from other buyers, we've heard that, you know, they would use it to, if, if they store a significant amount of food on site, because they're, whatever their business is or whatever their public entity operation is, they're responsible for feeding mass amounts of people at one time they get hit by a hurricane and the food spoils, right. that's not, that tends to not be covered under a traditional insurance um, policy. But that can result in whoever is storing the food and loses it, having, incurring a significant loss. Right. Well, there's, okay, this is the reason we're having this as a podcast topic, because there is so much that the two of you just talked about there that I want to unpack. Um, so I think we've got a lot of, a lot of stuff to talk about. I guess one thing that first comes to mind is, you know, we, we gave an example off the top that it's based on X wind speeds in your location, the payout is X dollars. How is all that determined? Like who sets the price for based on, you know, X intensity or whether, I mean, we're going to get to hail in a minute too. Like how, how does that, how does that work? Is that at the time when the policy is set? Is it an agreement between the, the buyer and, and the policy issuer? How, how does that work exactly? Yeah, good good question, Mick. Claire. Again, I can take the first stab at it, and Megan, feel free to to fill in the blanks here. So, um, you know, typically these are um, because these are very customized, Mick. Claire, these are um, mm -hmm. discussions that we have kind of back and forth with the client. So it might start with, "Hey, um, Swiss Re, uh, I have a problem, right? And and it's not really very well solved with my traditional cover. Can we talk about?" potential solution, right? Parametric being one of those potential solutions, right? And so, so then we might kind of go down that road uh, and the process is, is, is very iterative, right? So, so they're very flexible by nature. So we can kind of get to the bottom of, you know, where exactly do we need to cover, right? So what's that mm -hmm. physical location? Is it your site or is it, as Megan talked about, is it the port where you bring in all your stuff, right? Or is it, um, where is it exactly, right? And, and then we start to talk about what you mentioned, right? So where where do you want this to kick in, 
what type of cover do you want this to be, right? So do you want it to be very responsive to, you know, pretty low intensity events, right? Meaning, you know, if the earth shakes, um, not that much, a decent amount, but not that much, you still need it to pay you some money, right? Or do you want, you know, something that responds to more severe events, right? So you might say, okay, I can, I can take kind of the low shaking ones, right? But the, the really big mega shaking ones is where I expect to see, you know, the most kind of damage and disruption or what have you. And so that's kind of the conversation. So naturally it's a function of the exposure, you know, what do you sort of expect to happen? And we, we talk about that. Another obviously variable here is the cost, right? So, so the client might say, you know what, I have this amount of money to spend on this, right? Can you kind of tell me what, what I can buy for this amount of money, right? And we're able to kind of design a cover around that budget, right? And, and then we talk about, is that sufficient in terms of the types of events that it's responding for you or not, right? So, so there's, there's a couple of those variables, right? It's, it's what's the exposure um, and, and, and what do you want the, the cover to protect you from uh, or against? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also kind of what's your budget in terms of premium spend? And, and we can kind of work with that uh, to figure out the best combination of those factors. Yeah, right. these are very, very flexible products so that we can we can design something to fit client budgets. Um, you know, sometimes a client has been hit by an event that is the motivating factor behind the request. So sometimes it's it's designed to respond to an event like that, although, as we like to remind people, every hurricane is different. So just because yeah. hypothetically Irma was the worst event you experienced doesn't mean it's the worst possible event out there. Um, and as this is a, as these policies ensure against the probability of the event itself, and there's no necessary link to the underlying asset, cl- asset class, underlying occupancy type, uh, one of the drivers of price will obviously be how frequent do you expect the events to occur. Um, So if you're looking, for example, for a hurricane cover and you keep all things fixed, like the wind speed with which you start to receive a payout, um, if if you're looking in Florida and Maine, Maine has a lower probability of getting hit by a hurricane than Florida does. Likewise, for earthquake, if you're looking at the difference between uh, California and Minnesota, California is, is, is at higher risk of earthquakes than Minnesota is. Right. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So I want to kind of jump around a little bit here because a lot of what you've talked about has been, there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of excitement in the insurance industry. This is really in many ways like the next frontier with insurance since we're not stuck back in the the 80s, the 1880s. Um, So can we, I mean, I can hear the excitement in your voices as you talk about this. And can you tell me, like, what is so exciting about this? We've kind of touched on this a little bit, but how is it really affecting businesses, public entities, both large and small? Yeah, good good question. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess at the end of the day, and you can kind of hear we're not passionate about this at all, May Claire. You can tell. Not at all. You know? No, can totally um, tell. <laughs> <laughs> but really, you know, at Swiss Re, and I think this is true in the insurance industry in general, you know, uh, our core mission is to close what we call the protection gap, right? Or the gap between um, the losses that, that, you know, society sees in a given event and the losses that the insurer, insurers actually pay, right? So there's a gap there. 
uh, and we want to we want to narrow that gap to the extent possible. Uh, and 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 what's so exciting about parametric insurance is it's a tool that that can do exactly that. Um, so we we talked about it. You know, traditional insurance actually does a really good job for for what the kind of the role that it's intended to play, right? But it can't be sort of the end all be all. Um, and and you know one of the problems again that's kind of contributing to this protection gap is the complexity of of businesses that we're seeing is is kind of increasing exponentially um, and and ins- you know traditional insurance can't respond to all of that and so um, this is where you know parametric covers can can help bridge that gap in in kind of the coverage uh, and the time as well uh, of of claims adjustment for traditional. Uh, they can pay very quickly, uh, so they can help get money in the hands of the insureds when they need it most. Uh, and and while, for example, that traditional claims adjustment is happening, right? So it's sort of a, a hedge on the time, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. And they can also be very broad in terms of of the coverage. So we can fill in those gaps of sublimited coverages and excluded coverages on the traditional uh, cover. And and so it's it's uh, it really is a tool that can do exactly what we're trying to do, which is to close that protection gap. And, and I think the other the other exciting piece of this that we're seeing kind of come to the forefront, particularly in the last three or four years, is, is we're, we're starting to crack the code uh, in terms of how this concept can be applied to small businesses, smaller public entities, mm-hmm. as opposed to just the mega big, you know, Fortune 500 companies. It's powerful for them as well. And uh, many of them have executed these, but the cool thing is we're expanding the universe to you know small and and mid-sized companies, public entities, et cetera, for whom this this can actually be even more powerful. This concept than than for the really big folks. Do you see it maybe even going towards the direction of the homeowner and it being something that a homeowner could get for themselves in the future? Yeah, it's 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 a great point, mate, Clary. I, I think the answer is is yes. So we at Swiss Re are predominantly, we predominantly play in the commercial and kind of public mm-hmm. entity space, uh, at least kind of on the corporate solution side where Megan and I sit. Uh, but but there's no question, I think there, there would be applicability uh, for the individual homeowner as well. Certainly we have to consider, you know, education, making sure each individual homeowner kind of understands, you know, how is this different from my traditional insurance? And, and sometimes that education yeah. process uh, can be a bit more of a challenge than it might be on the on the corporate or public entity side, where they they might have, sure. you know, risk management departments and that sort of thing. Um, right. So that's something to really consider. But but um, but yeah, no, I think there's absolutely applicability. There are there are some out there uh, right now who do kind of parametric insurance for for kind of individual consumers, if you mm-hmm. will, depending on the peril. Uh, so so there's no question. I think there's there's applicability there as well. Uh, there's definitely potential there for the individual homeowner and you know maybe very small business owner you know mm-hmm. at, at at Swiss Re our goal really is to make the world more resilient and the sort of financial shocks that a natural disaster brings to to anybody from from a government to a large corporate to a small business to a community can reverberate for years if there's not a holistic financial risk management plan and like Cole said, traditional property insurance does an excellent job of insuring physical damage and providing cover after physical damage. But there's always going to be these ancillary or incidental costs, which 
a lot of individuals just might not even think of and you don't really even realize it until you, until you start to look at your balance sheet post event mm -hmm. um, and and this can and these sorts of products can really further enhance financial resiliency and financial sustainability and stability you know you we don't we don't really ever know when or where an earthquake's going to strike Right. And we don't really know when or where a hurricane is going to strike. I mean, yeah, our hurricane forecasts have gotten pretty good. So we have a pretty good idea, you know, three to five days in advance exactly where the storm is going. But that that's still not a whole ton of time to prepare. So our goal is to make sure that we provide a variety of solutions from indemnity insurance to parametric insurance to allow our clients to have a variety of financial tools that they can tap after a natural disaster yeah, and, and get the money up front from yeah. the parametric insurance and start to and start to recover immediately. Yeah, great I'm point. so glad that you talked about that. Yeah. Resilience is my favorite topic and really just helping bounce back and having the the means to be able to get through a disaster and, and having options like you are offering is is really just so amazing. So okay, I want to pivot a little bit and talk specifically about hail. Um so hail and severe convective storms, they're just so frequent and they cause significant damage in many different ways, which I'm sure leads to a lot of challenges as well. Um, we've talked a lot about hurricanes, but how is it harder to do parametric insurance for hail than it is for hurricanes or earthquakes? So hail is probably the primary reason that hail is the most challenging, and it's an excellent question, is because hail occurs at a much smaller scale than a hurricane. Um, or an earthquake, you know, the the size of a hurricane, a hurricane is going to be several hundred miles wide. Um, the ground shaking associated with an earthquake can can extend from tens to hundreds of miles away from the earthquake epicenter. Hail events are compared to the size of the earth, but even compared to, say, better known natural catastrophes are going to have a very small footprint. And the size of the hail that can occur can vary over very, very short distances. So it's, it, it is much more challenging to develop a product for hail simply because of the highly localized and highly variable nature of the peril. Um, right. But that was where this collaboration with CoreLogic was key, because the work that your research and development team did in producing these high-resolution hail footprints ensured us that we were not only getting reliable and stable data, but reliable and stable data from a known industry partner. So once we were able to identify a, a reliable source of high resolution hail data where we knew we wouldn't miss a hailstorm and you know we wouldn't have a lot of concerns about the quality of the data. The the next steps in developing the product and were actually quite simple. Um, I would say the the other thing, the other difference between hail and earthquakes and hurricanes is the hail product appeals to certain segments of buyers who are looking to kind of enhance their current hail insurance purchasing. Okay. And whereas parametric insurance for hurricane and earthquakes can be meant to cover anything from immediate aftermath to kind of those long tail economic impacts I discussed, like decreased tax revenue, 
hail isn't going to have the same longer term societal impacts that an earthquake or a hurricane does. Right. So the, the hail, those who purchase the hail parametric right now are tend to looking really to uh, supplement and enhance their um, current indemnity cover for hail. They're not necessarily thinking, okay, I, I need to prepare for decreased tax revenue due to hail, simply because hail doesn't have those sort of longer term knock-on effects that we can observe in larger, just geographically larger natural disasters. Yeah, sure. good point, yeah. Megan. And, and May Claire, just to give, maybe give you a couple examples. So, and these these may mm -hmm. be at the forefront of your mind already. So auto dealers, <laughs> for example, yeah. right? So uh, we we uh, we all have at least seen you know hail damage on a car, pretty susceptible to hail, uh, even at a relatively small hail size. So mm -hmm. so that's an area where there's been a lot of disruption on the traditional insurance side, frankly, because insurers almost can't find a way to make money, no matter how high the deductibles are, no matter, it's just really exposed business given how frequent and, and potentially severe these events are. And so parametric hail cover is, is perfect for them to help kind of plug into um, their, their big retentions that they're seeing now, right? Their big deductibles on their programs and that sort of thing. Coming back to that protection gap question, right? Um, another mm -hmm. area is, is solar, right? So, so we're seeing solar, uh, expand course, considerably yeah. in terms of just just facilities, new facilities, new sites, et cetera. Um, they also have have had their fair share of, of difficulty with large hail losses. Uh, and, and so the traditional insurance is having a tough time covering them to the extent they need to. So that's another area that's that's really interested uh, in, in this particular cover. A lot of other potential, you know, sort of industry classes, but those are two uh, that, that come to mind. That that's great, and I know at CoreLogic here, our forensic weather data, in particular, our forensic hail data, is is really one of the big innovations that we're extremely proud of that we've been able to offer this to the industry. So I'm I'm glad it's so helpful to you and being able to really innovate on your end as well too. Um, I want to talk a little bit. I know Megan, you talked a little bit about the Caribbean um, that is paid out. Can you talk? Has Swiss repaid out on any of these policies? And I mean, can we be a little more specific too on the types of buyers who are actually doing the payouts to what, what have you seen so far? Sure. So like Cole said, I mean, uh, keeping it specifically to the hail side, um, so yeah. far our buyers have been mainly car dealerships um, and we've fielded the inquiries from um, solar sites that are under development. Uh, we've also fielded a fielded a couple inquiries from some public sector buyers. Obviously, public sector buyers, they have car fleets in the forms of uh, police car fleets, fire truck, and emergency oh. service vehicles. So they can have, um, if they're in hail-prone locations, they can certainly have uh, some, some hail exposure to their uh, auto fleet. And we've also seen public sector buyers in the sense where um, sometimes there are individual assets that are difficult to insure. Our broker that we've mm -hmm. partnered with on the hail side primarily specifically mentioned that, you know, in, in the Midwest, particularly in Texas and Oklahoma and high hail states, high school football is king. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of schools are going to have 
high tech, maybe LCD or, mm. or mm. certain types of, of stadium screens and they're going to be outside. And if they get hit by hail, maybe they can be damaged. Um, so that was one of the examples he gave. And we have seen some interest from um, the public sector side. On the hail side, we did pay out claims um, this past year. So the 2020, uh, the year 2020 was kind of our pilot with this. And obviously it was quite the interesting year to launch a pilot for anything. <laughs> but yeah. we, did we did have some take up mostly in the state of Colorado. Um, and after a hailstorm in early August, uh, we were it, we did pay out on two of our parametric hail policies that were in force. Um, we settled the claim. What was it called? Eight to ten days or something like that, from event notice to claims payment. Yep. Wow. Um, so we were able to get the buyers the funds that they were due uh, very quickly, and then uh, in keeping with the theme of if everything could go wrong in 2020 it did we also paid out on a parametric earthquake insurance policy and we paid mm. out on a parametric hurricane policy that we had in force in north america so we kind of got the trifecta of natural disasters on our parametric insurance policies this year but we like we <clears throat> we like paying claims like that's first of all it's a proof of concept right these these sorts yeah. of insurance coverages work they responded when they needed to, and they responded for the types of events that they were designed to address. Um, so it's always good to have those touch points. And again, since we designed these to cover truly disruptive events, we are providing our clients with coverage and with funds post-event post that they are in need of to start their recovery process. So even though we had the trifecta of claims in 2020, that, that's, that's a good thing for those for those two reasons. Sure. We were able to show proof of concept and we were able to step in and help our clients start the recovery effort almost immediately. Yeah. Um, so I think I think those are the three that I can think of in North America. But then again, the CRIF has paid out uh, several times after mm -hmm. several events uh, to its various member countries since 2007. Um, okay. The CRIF was, um, so, or the earthquake and tropical cyclone um, parametric covers were successful to the point where an excess rainfall cover was launched in 2014. We mm -hmm. worked with them on that, and that was another, um, that's another policy that's paid out a handful of times. So we do have more examples of payouts outside of the United States, but as our portfolio has grown, we've started getting them in the United States. And, you know, again, as, as the events happen, we're here to respond. We, we are here to... Right ensure that the claims process runs seamlessly and in the event that funds are due that we get them to the buyers as soon as possible so they can start their recovery process and be able to get back on their feet even sooner. Sure. All about that resiliency and just helping them be more resilient. So I feel like the three of us could talk all day, but I, I do want to start wrapping up here. So I, I do like to end our episodes with a look at the future. So if you had a crystal ball what do you think the insurance holds for parametric insurance? So I can start. It's a very good question. You know, we went from hurricanes and earthquakes now to hail and, and what's next. Mm -hmm. And I think the area that I see being of interest and in where the next frontier is, is can we use non-geophysical indices mm -hmm. to come up with more of an all-risk parametric cover? Um, if 
if there's a buyer, and I, I keep coming back to this after my time in the public sector, if there's a buyer that's particularly sensitive to tourism tax revenue, is there a metric that is a good proxy of tourism activity, but could cover disruption from a variety of events like uh, economic downturns, like hurricanes, like earthquakes, like other sort of events? So, yeah, I think that if I think the next frontier is finding um, indices that could respond to a multitude of different events. Mm-hmm. So not necessarily an underlying physical parameter like hurricane wind speed, but perhaps some other measure of economic activity. And to go back to my public sector days and to think about tourism tax revenue, you know, is is there an index that's a good proxy for uh, tourist activity in an area? Oh, and if so, if that index slips below a certain value, uh, due to a variety of events, whether mm-hmm. or not it's a hurricane, an earthquake, an economic downturn, something else that we can't even think of, you know, then could that be used as the basis to provide a parametric insurance payout? And I mean, maybe one of those indices, for example, would be airline traffic. Sure, yeah. Um, and that's that's something that is quantifiable, reported by an independent third party, and that you could monitor quite easily, and that has a history associated with it. And those four things are really key to assessing the viability of an index to act as a parametric insurance right. trigger. Right. So that's where I really kind of see the next the next frontier going. How can we to pull a to pull a terminology from the indemnity side? How can we create all risk parametric insurance products? That's great. Yeah, it's and I think when I think of the future, that that's really it is not being limited to a specific event, but more so economic indicators, as you've just mentioned, and how that can, because that can be a significant impact on, show a significant impact on on what's happening to an industry. So I yeah. look forward to seeing what the future holds. Yeah. I was just going to, I think Megan hit on a lot of good points. I mean, one is we've kind of been talking about parametric natural catastrophe, but yeah. the concept of parametric can, can really extend to really any index you want, right? So mm-hmm. any, you know, reportable, high quality data on anything. And and so, you know, I definitely think that's one area of, of kind of expansion is these, these new perils or new covers, however they're structured using these various indices that are kind of correlated with the pain that the client actually feels from, from a given event or a series of events. Um, I think there's, so, so that's kind of the expansion into the new area. I think there's still a lot to be done going deeper into sort of the existing areas to make clear. And I see that as sort of the, the the other frontiers within kind of the the existing mm-hmm. frontier, if you will, are expanding on the frontier that we've already got, which is, you know, one is we talked about it is education. So, yeah. you know, we've really just scratched the surface, uh, for example, just on earthquake and hurricane and, mm-hmm. and hail, for example. Right. So, um, uh, you know, I always I always hesitate a little bit to get too distracted with all of the other stuff. The other stuff's mm-hmm. important, too, but we want to make sure that, you know, we have a lot of of, of folks who aren't adequately protected just for those basic perils. Uh, and so how do we, how do we better educate the industry and get them more comfortable with the concept? So as to kind of increase the take up there, um, and going along with that is just the refinement of our existing covers and existing perils, right? So as the data gets better, uh, and more refined, you know, we, we can't just sort of rest on our laurels with all the, the existing ways that we've done it, but we've got to get better with, 
how we're covering the existing perils too. So, so I think mm -hmm. those kind of two areas, in addition to the expansion of the new stuff, which is very important too, are kind of the, the, the frontiers that I see moving forward. Well, it sounds like there's a lot on the horizon um, and lots to keep busy. So I, I look forward to seeing how this all unfolds and the education side of things is really, it's one of the things that I've really done so much of in my own career too, is just the whole education of understanding both the risk and the insurance for the risk and how that works for different perils. So I look forward to seeing how all of this unfolds in the future. So Megan and Cole, I feel like we could talk all day, but thank you so much for being here. It's been so great. Thank you for joining joining me on Core Conversations, a CoreLogic podcast. Thank you so much for having us, May Claire. It was a lot of fun, really enjoyed the conversation, and I'm sure we'll keep in touch and keep talking in the future. Yeah, I had a great time. Thanks, May Claire. Yeah, definitely would love to talk to you guys again. So for more information on the property market and the housing economy, please visit corelogic.com insights. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed our latest episode. Please remember to leave us a review and let us know your thoughts and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to be notified when new episodes are released. And thanks to the team for helping bring this podcast to life. Producer Rhea Tarakia, editor and sound engineer Romeo Roman, and social media guru Mike Wojcik. Tune in next time for another core conversation. <laughs>